Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast in which two movies with something in common go head to head to see which one does it better. On this episode, in the red corner, a couple of furious scenery-chewing beasts face off in post-apocalyptic Britain as Christian Bale's beard takes on Matthew McConaughey's scalp in 2002's Reign of Fire, which also features some dragons. A species older than the dinosaurs and more terrifying than anything we could have imagined. How did they go from one to a million in less than a year? Highly evolved. Now one will protect them. We have to hang on. Work together. And one will lead them. There's nothing magical about it. They're made of flesh and blood. While in the blue corner, can you believe it? Apologies, but it was either that or a rim joke. Giant monsters with stupid names like Knifehead fight giant robots with even stupider names like Gypsy Danger, piloted by humans with somehow even stupider names like Stacker Pentecost. From 2013, it's Pacific Rim. We always thought alien life would come from the stars. But it came from deep beneath the Pacific. What the hell is going on? In order to fight monsters, we created monsters of our own. So what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And as you just heard this week, Pacific Rim goes head-to-head with Reign of Fire. These were your choices, Victoria can we ever guess at what connects these yeah, two movies? Yeah, so just to say, it was my turn to pick, um, and I wanted to find something that was seasonal. Um, <laughs> and Chris is very aware of my ongoing interest in the much lauded, and some say blighted, Crossrail Project. And that <laughs> <laughs> led me to Rain of Fire. That led me to Pacific Rim. So can you guess the connection? Go. Um, I've got one. 
Is it two movies featuring 90% of their exposition in a 90-second <laughs> montage at the start? No, it's not. Good guess. Not right. Is it films that star British actors with made-up accents? <laughs> Incorrect. OK, I've got one more. Is it movies where the monsters in question are made to seem hard as nails because it talks about both of them wiping out the dinosaurs, <gasps> oh, I did which have we that. know were proper <laughs> badasses? I did have that. That's not my connection. You also could have had two attractive leads who don't actually get off with each other. Heroes in jumpers, I also would have taken. <laughs> but, but the actual connection is Happy New Year. Underground creatures are here to fuck up your 2020. <laughs> yeah. So they're both set in 2020. And that's the connection. And there's lots of other connections. There's a lot of monsters. They come from under the ground, uh, the jumpers, etc. the British people. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about these bonkers digital madness. <laughs> well, we'll say Happy New Year first because this oh, is yeah. going out on New Year's Eve. Yep. Um, I'm hoping you're not spending your New Year's Eve listening to this on what, your own with you? a bottle of brandy. bottle of brandy? Oh, that's negative. Yeah. Interesting choice. <laughs> So have you found yourself in that situation before? That felt strangely specific. <laughs> I did a few years ago. Uh, New Year's Eve was spent after midnight, to be fair, with a friend and a bottle of brandy listening to the Alan Partridge audiobook autobiography. <laughs> That's a brilliant way to spend your time. It might have been the best one yeah, I've ever the had. Best New Year's ever, because they're always disappointed. We, just, that's not we just sat there in, just sat there silently like laughing and looking at each other. <laughs> Are you still friends with this person? Yeah, hi Stuart if you're listening. I don't oh. think he listens. Oh, okay. I did, I did meet two listeners at a wedding at the weekend. Did you? Yes, hello Dominic and Ben. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> Was it a wedding you were invited to or have you been gatecrashing weddings <laughs> looking for people to listen to the show? <laughs> have you got a Clash of the Titles t-shirt on and you walk around with your chest puffed out waiting for people to go, oh my, are you, is that Chris? We're just having a wedding around the corner. Do you want to pop in? We've got brandy. You've got free brandy. <laughs> well, you can put on the Alan Partridge podcast through the speakers. If you want. It'll be our first dance. <laughs> I wear a t-shirt with that picture of us in the popcorn. I've, I've had enough of that picture. Okay. Anyway, should we talk about the films? Sure. <laughs> New artwork coming in 2020. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Victoria, you gave me Pacific Rim, but you gave Chris Reign of Fire. We do it chronologically as always. So, Chris, start us off. Well, I'm a big fan of uh, Trailer Voice Guy. And I thought this film must have Trailer Voice Guy doing In a World. Mm. And although he, because it's the ultimate in a world. Uh, and although he doesn't say those exact words, it does very much have trailer voice guy. And so what I did was I transcribed what trailer voice guy says and I was going to do an impersonation of him. Oh, my God. Please don't. You don't do impersonations. No, I don't. Um, and also I found that it really hurts my voice mm -hmm. doing his thing. And I've got a bit of a cold. Mm -hmm. uh, and These so... sound like stupid excuses. Do the fucking voice. I've asked someone else to do it. So uh, this is um, an Eng a posh English robot uh, doing what Trailer Voice Guy said. A creature has been awakened that has lain dormant for millions of years. A species older than the dinosaurs and more terrifying than anything we could have imagined. Highly evolved. Extremely intelligent. Unbelievably powerful. Now one will protect them. And one will let them. This summer, the plan is set. The arsenal has been assembled. They've got one chance to take back their world. Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale, Reign of Fire. Why does he say chance? 
We've got one chance to save the world. Because <laughs> he's Southern. Right, 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 right. Uh, there's an American robot version I've got as well. I won't play that, but he really couldn't save McConaughey. <laughs> he had a real problem with that, but the English robot can. Also, it's not more terrifying than I could ever have imagined. <laughs> I can imagine... I can imagine a dragon. Yeah, and land sharks. Yeah. Sharks that have evolved to come on land. So you're sunbathing on the beach and you see the fin in the water and you think you're safe, but then, uh-oh, it's got feet. And it's running up the beach towards you and your kids if At you have speed. kids. Yeah. Is that a sci-fi movie, TV movie that we could cover in the future? No, it's a pitch I'm making right now. What do you think, guys? Strong. Very, very strong. Mm-hmm. So History with Rain of Fire. Who has seen this film when it came out? Who is new to it? I had not seen this film. Ever? No, I've never even heard of it. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. I'd seen it uh, when it came out and I think I've watched it once since. So this was probably my third viewing. Okay. Mm, I would say I'm about the same. I might not have watched it once since. Okay. But I definitely watched it when it came out. So what did you think on a first viewing, Vicky? Uh, I thought the poster was better than the film. That's the end of my review. Yeah. The poster does suggest you see Dragon Geddon in London, don't you? A lot. Whereas the don't. film doesn't have the budget to do that. So it shows it via kind of a montage. No, the best bit in the a- montage, they say, the dragons swarmed like locusts. And then they cut to a picture of locusts because they can't afford a picture of dragons <laughs> swarming like locusts. Like, we know what a locust looks like. In fact, the largest flock, let's say, of any animal is the weird metaphor i want to say at the start where the kid is walking through trafalgar square and all the pigeons oh yeah take off i wasn't <laughs> sure whether that was supposed to be like why don't you just all get over pigeons and forgive pigeons because what if the pigeons were dragons because everyone bitches about pigeons but dragons are worse well that was the year 2002 is when this came out that was the year that ken livingston was accused of signing a death warrant for the capital's pigeons after he paid off the last birdseed seller in trafalgar square and employed hawks to start taking out uh, the pigeons, which was quite controversial at the time. Mm. Oh, God, I'm so bored. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm really bored. Stop it. Of all the research you could have done, you've got a policy initiative from a now defunct mayor of London. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is, if you ever travelled in a black cab with Ma- Ken Livingston was mayor, it's, all, it's the only conversation you'd ever have with a driver. Crooked Ken, dodgy Ken. Because I mean, of the pigeons. It, wasn't re- it was rarely about the pigeons. It was about the laws he was imposing on them. But occasionally you'd get a good one where it's like, those poor fucking pigeons. <laughs> Won't somebody think of the pigeons? I'd forgotten they were there, though. It was unusual to see them. Um, they were horrible. Though. Well, they're not anymore. They're all inside hawks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it kicks off with, uh, as you said, Vicky, they're building... I was going to make a crossrail joke yeah, as well. It's, yeah. the, it's called the Docklands Line Project. Yeah, so. it's the most unsafe building site in the world you're allowed to smoke children are allowed are they drinking and if they find a void they're like hey kid do you want to take a look which I can't believe uh, yeah that kid isn't even offered a high-vis jacket never mind a hard hat no and his mum's there you think he should be like puts a hat on mm. before you go into a void did you recognise his mum boy queen Alice Krieg Queen Helena from A Christmas Prince I would say now from here on in so yeah the, the boy Quinn uh, full name Quinn Abercrombie. Yep. Um, he young Christian Bale. Young Christian Bale. Yeah. He he heads down into the tunnels and he comes face to face with a dragon. Well, who, before he comes face to face with a dragon, he comes face to face with a bloke who's hit this void mm. and is pretty pissed off with his mum, mm. who I'm guessing is the forewoman, mm-hmm. because he doesn't realise kids behind him mm-hmm. and he's like crazy bitch doesn't know what she's doing because yeah. he's hit a void. So then 
He realises the kid's there and you suddenly realise just how overwritten the kid's part is because he goes, what brings you down to the arsehole of the world? And the kid, being fucking eight, goes, well, you're passing through it. What does that say about you? No child would know that as a comeback. Little wise ass. So the dragon sneezes on him. Um, breathes fire on the workman and then we don't see much more. We get this um, montage and via voiceover, um, Cockney Christian Bale tells us <laughs> that millions of these dragons appeared. Um, they burned everything in their path. They had one purpose, which was to feed. They burned the dinosaurs to extinction. Their ash caused the ice ages. They scorched the world clean of life, then starved and then fell asleep. Mm. And um, they've been ready for this moment. Uh, the well burned. They fled the cities and found shelter where they could. Are you reading the entire transcript of the voiceover? <laughs> Pretty much. I'm getting over. Uh, and so we kick. We, the, the, the movie then moves to Northumberland in 2020. Can I ask my first question? Because it talks about dragons feeding. Yep. I'm unclear throughout this film exactly what dragons eat. Oh my god. They it eat really ash. Annoyed me. It's so ridiculous. But then, I mean, the world is ash. There's fucking so Lots much ash everywhere. Like, why are they why starving? Why can't they just eat people like a normal is, monster? Isn't there protein in ash? No, I don't think, I think they can't it's just be. carbon, isn't it? And also, they don't eat ash, they dab ash, which, uh, apart from being my hip hop pseudonym, is also <laughs> a really dainty description of how a dragon eats. Is that what they say? Yeah, because when they burn the field in the big chase sequence and then they manage to escape yeah. in the fireproof trucks. Uh-huh. And Kristen Bell's like, oh, they don't want us no more because he just wants to dab ash off that field. And Dab ash? Yeah, dab ash. I mean, it sounds a bit like a dance move, obviously, yeah. dabbing. But also it just sounds like a, a dragon sort of like licking its foot and then putting it in the and ash. And then patting and, it. Yeah, just and all, then just going. Yeah, which is not what you want from a monster, a scary monster. No, you want them to eat fucking people. Right, exactly. The best scene is where he eats one person, Why two would people. A massive, how could a massive, oh no, because dinosaurs did it, I suppose. A huge beast would not be sustained by ash. They would be sustained... The dinosaurs didn't eat ash. No, I don't mean that. I mean, the dinosaurs were massive. Right. And some of them just ate plants. No one has ever eaten ash. I'm just <laughs> going to say that for the record. So um, we learn that Edinburgh's gone. They haven't heard from Norwich. And, um... <laughs> it's a very, very British apocalypse. Which I like about it. I love the fact that they're in Northumberland. Yeah, they're in a castle in Northumberland where they spend their days reenacting uh, Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, Christian Bale as Quinn Abercrombie and his mate, young Gerard Butler. Um, so it's fascinating, isn't it? I saw this because it starts and you meet Christian Bale's torso and beard mm. at the same time, which mm-hmm. is quite a sight. And then Gerard <laughs> Butler shows up and you're like watching it and you go, my God, Christian Bale has aged well. Mm. And you go, my God, Gerard Butler has aged. <laughs> that is harsh, Alec. Ooh. It's true, though. Really? I think he of the two great. of them. He looks, I, I mean, star. he looks more rugged. Yeah. Now, Christian Bale looks pretty much the same. He does. Well, I guess this was a film at the time with, I would say, two B-listers and a nobody. And now I would say it's two A-listers and a B-lister. But hadn't he done American Psycho? Yeah, that didn't make him an A-lister. He was mm. about to do Batman, which turned sort of Christian Bale. Yeah. He does took get him to the next second level. billing at the start Is behind he? McConaughey. McConaughey doesn't show up for like half an hour. So. 29 minutes. <laughs> Why would you even try? I mean, what, what? are you thinking? <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I think I've forgotten how this show works. <laughs> so I guess they're leading quite a boring life in the castle until the 29th minute. What are you talking about? That Empire Strikes Back play is amazing. Obviously, couldn't get the rights for Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, so it's the White Knight and the Black Knight. Makes sense. Although, who's forgotten 
like their names. It's not like it's that far in the future that they're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, this legend, no one really knows where it is. Empire creature. Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah, so they do, they're presenting it to the children like it's a myth or a legend to entertain the children. But wouldn't you be annoyed if you hadn't, if you were a child watching this film and you hadn't seen Empire yet and they spoil Empire for you? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think that's a really valid concern and uh, well pointed out, Chris. Vicky? Thank you. Uh, I don't think that's true at all. And I think a child like you might feel like that, but I think a really easygoing, like normal child would yeah. just be all right about it. Yeah, I mean, a child's sort of sitting there listening to the Alan Partridge podcast, <laughs> bottle of brandy. <laughs> it's not going to mind. I wasn't a child. <laughs> I don't know. I'm in my mid-30s. Um, you, you, seem, you seem like you've lived. So uh, the film sort of moves up a gear when uh, Matthew McConaughey arrives <laughs> as... And how does he arrive? He um, arrives with a tank between his fucking legs. With <laughs> <laughs> a thousand-yard stare, the things I've seen, and the old red, white, and blue stitched onto his... What is he wearing? Is it a waistcoat? <laughs> what is it? Well, <laughs> it looks like he's got a sheepskin jacket and cut the sleeves off. And yeah. Why? Uh, also, it looks like he's wearing fake eyelashes. <laughs> His <laughs> eyes are so beautiful in this. Of course. But also, got... I thought protein was scarce because they're like, <laughs> we've got no food, we're living off tomatoes. Matthew McConaughey is ripped. So what is his protein source? His protein cigars. source Cigars. Is... Yeah. The cigars that he's <laughs> chewing on. He has an endless supply of cigars. Oh, I see. He never lights one in the whole movie. No, he doesn't. It's disgusting. No, he's got the sleeveless jacket and the neckerchief. It's kind of war by way of gap, isn't it, the way he's dressed? It's very stylish. <laughs> um, he's a, he says he's, he's a Kentucky regulator. Irregular. <laughs> he's a Kentucky irregular. Irregular, does he say? Yeah, he does. But you don't believe me. You don't believe me. Listen Why back. It's, okay. What's an irregular? I it's a know. it's a military unit. Right. Um, it's why it's called the irregulars. It's but I, I do love the idea of him going, I'm a Kentucky regulator. Do Mount believe, up. Do you believe me now? Do you mean like do you mean like the regulators that is the young reg- guns? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's no. why I, that's why that's right. why I'd written that down. But you're wrong. So he's a dragon slayer who tells us that he's uh, lost 122 men. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to need you to say it. Chris. I'm definitely wrong. Mount up. Um, and But he has some insight into these dragons. He knows that they can't focus in the fading light. They can see in the light and the dark, but mm. a magic hour. Mm. Yeah, not a lot is really made of their vision because at the end when they turn up in London, it suddenly becomes the predator and the dragons mm. can see it infrared. Not explained. No, Never. no and doesn't really add anything. <laughs> Um, and we also learn about, uh, he's called, uh, sorry, Denton Van Zan. we didn't say. Um, he doesn't feel things, and that's how he can do the things he does. Yeah, he also okay. introduces his co-workers where he goes, uh, this is Alex, the keeper of the dead. And you just want us to go, just Alex is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with just Alex, Denton. It really threw me because she's a helicopter pilot, and then he was going... She's the keeper of the dead. And I was like, but that's just, is that a job in itself? Like, when does she have time to do that? And what does it mean? Hello, Mr. Drama. <laughs> well, that's Isabella Skorupko from Bond, from Goldeneye. Yeah, she plays, Goldeneye, uh, yeah. yeah, she's... The uh, one that isn't on a top. Yeah, she's... Natalia? Natalia, yeah. yeah. She's also in Vertical Limit, um, which just as I was looking this up and went, oh, yeah, she was in Vertical Limit, made me go... We're fucking doing vertical. Yeah, good film. Yeah, um, she's a member of the Archangels, and they fly in the sky. They jump from choppers and try to ensnare the dragons using nets, and they have a life expectancy of seventeen seconds. <laughs> Which, again, this film says a lot of things that don't make a whole lot of sense, and then don't manifest on screen. Because a, who would go? 
oh, and then I'll give it a shot. My life expectancy is what? 17 seconds. That's suggesting that every time they jump out, whoever it is, you're dead in 17 seconds. And also, we see them do it, and it lasts at least a minute and a half. But it still doesn't go very well. No, it doesn't. One person dies. Two people die? Uh, two people die. One doesn't realise uh, how to open a parachute when the ground is approaching at speed. <laughs> Which All... is to open it. <laughs> yeah, that is a great scene though where he looks behind him and he's like, aha, the dragons stopped yeah, chasing me. And then yeah. he looks forward and goes, oh, fuck. But then if the dragons don't eat people, why does it work? Why would a dragon go after a person if it wasn't to like snatch it out of the air mm-hmm. like a snack? One of many questions this movie throws up without ever bothering to answer. However, that Archangel sequence... Oh, yeah, it's, it's really good. It's great. I remember I didn't get it as much this time, which disappointed me because I was really looking forward to it. But I remember the first time I saw mm. it. Two things. First of all, love seeing actual military hardware on screen. That helicopter is definitely flying over that castle. And the sort of like the juxtaposition of like modern hardware over this primitive lifestyle is cool. And when it flies over and they all look up and you're like, shit, those people haven't seen a helicopter in years. I got goosebumps. Sorry. Uh, and also, the whole idea of them parachuting down and firing nets onto the dragon's wings is pretty sick. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't work. It it's doesn't like, work at all. It's possibly one of the most flawed plans. And yeah. you're like, has this ever worked? No wonder she's the keeper of the dead. You've got a <laughs> shit plan. Yeah, I don't know why they're engaging with dragons in the sky. And I don't know why the dragons in the sky are engaging with people on the ground. Yeah. This seems like the only way either of you can get killed. It seems like the, <laughs> the plan should be to burn a massive field of crops every day, yep. let the dragons dab ash, stay in your castle. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's what they would be doing had Team America Well Police not shown up <laughs> and just screwed everything up with their crazy plans of let's get out, let's get out of town, let's go this way. Oh, we're all being killed. Let's go back. Oh, no, we've led the dragons back to the castle. Turns out having a tank as a penis doesn't work. <laughs> Tell everyone. <laughs> but how does he convince Christian Bale that this is the only plan of action? What's the conceit that he uses to say, look, it's this or nothing. You're killing everyone slowly. So you have to do my plan because there's no other way to win. How does he convince him of that? He tells him there's just one man dragon and you have to kill the one man dragon and now everything will be fine. But then Christian Bale pulls an egg out of the female and that's never referenced again. And yet apparently that helps convince him that Van San isn't just a guy who hates male dragons. I kind of feel the whole movie is based around the idea that Matthew McConaughey wants to be the manliest creature walking the earth. the earth, yeah. And he hates the fact that there's a big man dragon big in man London dragon. and he really wants to beat the man dragon so he can be king man. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's the, that's the narrative I've imposed on the film. I think it has to be that because otherwise as an evolutionary strategy, having just one man dragon hmm. for all the lady dragons yeah. doesn't work. And also, I mean, he what about get, the baby dragons? He must get tired as well. <laughs> Well, because he's got no stamina, I suppose. He's very hungry by this point. But how well. does, how does he fertilise the eggs? He sprays them. Yeah, but they should. <laughs> but they should be. A, I thought they should be a scene where we see him spraying no! dragon spunk all over Sorry. Northumberland. No. Yeah, because that's the bit where it's like, how do you make a dragon less scary? Yeah, it's by going. So the dragons, they're like fish. Yeah. I mean, it's weak. Just say yeah. they spray the eggs. It's like so a flying lizard. <laughs> Is like a fish, is what you're saying. There just has to be a better way around it of like, oh God, I don't know, if we kill this this man dragon, they're very highly evolved and this is the king and they all respect the king. 
because they've got brains. Mm. So if we kill the king man dragon, they'll all just fuck off because that's fine. You can't just be like, there's one man and all the babies are girl dragons, presumably, because it's... otherwise it doesn't work. Yep. So it's just it's just such a bad hook. And I, I feel like, like it. also it's too convenient that the kid who makes first contact with the dragons is the one who ends up killing that dragon at the end and yeah. saves humanity. Well, it's not so much convenient. It's not, maybe not enough is made of it. Because if he's he's been picked out by this film to be a special person in some way, and then he could just be anyone turning up yeah, at the end. That's really, really made very unclear in one of the final lines in the movie where uh, Natalia from GoldenEye says to Christian Bale, he always thought you could do it, and you did. Which in some ways suggests that McConaughey knew who he was, and it was very important that this Christian Bale was the kid at the start. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, he'd met him a few weeks before and he hated him. So um, <laughs> he tells him, I lead, you follow. And then they have that big moment at the end where he, he says to him, actually, you lead, we follow. And you go, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I, he switched around and then he proceeds to bark orders at him for 15 minutes, <laughs> contradicting what he's just said. Yeah. The bit where he comes back after his plan has failed to get to London in a tank at 10 miles an hour, obviously, but somehow it takes him, he's like 60 miles outside of London in the space of 30 minutes or whatever. And then it goes really wrong and the man dragon just does one pass and fucks everything up yeah. and kills everyone. And then he has to go back to the castle and he's like, Hey, Christian Bale, mm. you were right. You'd be like, yeah, yeah I fucking know. Yeah, you, Bye. Just killed all, you just killed everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the weird, it like, because the dragon, he's like the magan, the man dragon does, he goes, it made one pass, <laughs> one pass. He's like Quint when Quint finally realises the shark in Jaws is actually maybe going to be tougher to kill. And mm. it's the moment he goes back to the castle is the moment where Quint sort of looks at the shark cage on the boat and goes, so... Uh, what does this thing do? It's like a sort of realisation that, you know, his tank willy isn't enough. His tank willy. Uh, but, but that sequence you refer to, I mean, this film's 17 years old. I think the effects look really good yes. in that scene. Like they haven't, I think a lot of the effects in this film haven't really aged. Yeah. Um, and I was very impressed. Did you like the look of the dragon? Yes. I thought the dragons were brilliant. They were just as good as the Game of Thrones dragons. They, they, my benchmark. They, they, they used a lot of different creatures in, in how they put it together. So they want it to move like a leopard, sound like a cobra. Sting the, like a bee. The spine of a serpent, the skin of an alligator. And then there's this interesting um, concept of how they spew fire. Yeah. So oh, they've yeah. got, it's, it's two different chemicals secreted in two sacks that then combine when they touch. When they touch, they flame. Yeah, which is kind of thrown away again because Christian Bale goes, Yeah, we had a petrochemical engineer here. He told us that he's dead now. Yeah. <laughs> That's in like minute seven as well. Yeah. That I watched, I watched the most boring DVD extra in history for this film. It was called If You Can't Take the Heat. And it was 15 minutes of them setting up fire stunts in pretty much silence. <laughs> and when they, when they did speak, they, they'd explain why fire is such an interesting element, which it isn't. So I, I suppose did... it's quite constant, isn't it? Like it's, it just is what it is. I did that for you people. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about this. I thought it was a bit of a strange scene when 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 um Christian Bale's praying with the kids, and then I felt like it was Moses leading the chosen ones when he takes them out, which is quite biblical. Mm. And I thought it's interesting he then played Moses. This was like a little camp. This was like a yeah, little yeah, audition yeah. for that. Yeah, I remember Ridley Scott saying he loved him in Reign of Fire, <laughs> and that's why he cast him as Moses in Exodus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nope, that didn't happen. Okay. Uh, I do think Van Zan is the worst guest to ever invite to a party uh, where he goes, go ahead, have your little soiree. You disgust me. It's like, 
Guy, Have a come drink. on, you know. <laughs> Sit down. They've just seen a dragon killed for the first time. They're partying for you, bro. Yeah, and they've been living under constant fear and panic for, however, an unspecified number of years. Yeah. Or is it 18 years? Is it very much specified? Anyway, it it's matter. about 12 years because 2008 is when the dragons... Oh, okay. Where have all the children... There's so many children uh, in that place. And also, why are all the children dressed in like identical <laughs> blue robes like a tiny little child cult? I'm confused <laughs> as to why you guys are, don't know what year it setting. No, sorry. Because that's the idea of the podcast this week. <laughs> no, yeah, it's but, literally 2020. Yeah, but, there, but like, when, how, did, when the, did it start? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When did it kick off? Yeah. Uh, they don't actually state the year that it happened, but it was around oh. the... I think the idea is it actually happened the year the film came out. Okay. And um, can we talk about the stupidest line in the whole movie, in my opinion? Is it... Oh, you've done... Dragons are like fish. That's pretty stupid. Go for it. It's when Christian Bale arrives in London with Van Zandt and... Um, um, uh, Natalia from Goldeneye. Isabella Skrupko. That's right, Isabella Skrupko. All I can remember is them saying, "Well, just keep your head down, and you won't be seen." Christian Bale says, as his way of getting them closer to Magan, um, <laughs> they know the <laughs> wait. <laughs> they know the city from the sky down. I know it from the bottom up. This <laughs> is just like what the fuck. <laughs> Like, I didn't think that was that bad. Really? Yeah, honestly. I was it didn't like, stick out to me. It stuck up to me. I liked, I liked it when Jared Butler says, uh, when they're all kind of dreading what's arriving on their doorstep, he says, oh, it's the only thing that's worse than a dragon, Americans. <laughs> that's a good line. <laughs> it's it's not, a fun little line. I remember loving him in this movie. It was the first time I'd ever come across Gerard Butler and I thought he was very good. Um, I didn't remember he was in it, so he did not make that impression on me. Okay. Uh, the finale. Let's talk about the finale. Um... The plan is confusing as to what they're doing. I mean, they basically need to fire at the dragon in the neck just before it breathes uh, fire. That's the only way they can kill it. That's what we're led to believe. And they've got magnesium C4 tipped arrows hmm. in a crossbow. So that's the only way to kill it. Not jumping into its mouth with, <laughs> with an axe. And missing. That's what he missed. <laughs> he so, sort of flies that, at it. So we're talking about is it not to stand on a chimney, which for some reason they couldn't get Matthew McConaughey on the top of a chimney, so it's CGI, <laughs> and then jump into its mouth with an axe. Well, he's suddenly shirtless as well. Oh, is he? Yeah, I think when he goes up to the top of that, he's wearing a shirt, but suddenly that's come off. Is that time to change? Uh, he's holding it's a battle axe in his hand, and as you say, he I don't why does he jump? Um I, I, that's a really good question I don't know. it will come to him won't yeah. it like you don't need to you're going to die but you don't need to risk the jump also yeah or he could keep trying to fight like go down I don't know go down the other side it just I've, it seemed like a wasteful death what you mean jumping into a dragon's mouth <laughs> yeah I'd agree yeah well if he was going to hit that bit of neck all good but he, but he but you, need, you needed to hit it with an explosion like no you can just punch it <laughs> it wasn't jumping at it to punch its neck it was stupid. It just felt like a bit of an anticlimax, the whole finale. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sort of watching the dragon crawl around on the ground, sort of sticking its head around corners, going, hello, oh, not here. <laughs> yeah. Doing Predator vision. <laughs> and I don't like the idea that now that the man dragon is dead, all the widow dragons are just like... <laughs> Wagons. <"What?" laughs> yeah, Wiggins? <laughs> I just now the wagon is dead. Yeah, the wagons are all alone. The wagons are alone. Yeah, 
uh, the wagons are not rolling because they're just like, well, that's us done, basically. We, Although we have independently looked for food sources before, mm. we will cease to do so because our mandragon is dead. How would you feel, um, or indeed, how do you feel about the fact that because there's not a lot of food around, no ash for Magan to dab. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's no ash for Magan to dab. How do you feel about him eating his wagons? Oh, well, he's got plenty of them, so why not? Really? Of course. I was. I felt really sorry for that female dragon when like, they all were like, scatter! He's coming! <laughs> and she was like, he's sorry, oh God! If you've only got to live with one man, I think you can learn his ways pretty quickly. Keep out of his path when he's in a mood like that, obviously. Your own fault. <laughs> you, seem, you seem relatively okay with this. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely okay, okay with this. Okay, fine. Like I've said before, I'm a complicated girl. Yep, you have said that before a lot. <laughs> And also the final line with Christian Bale and Natalia from Goldeneye on the hill. And she's like, we haven't seen a dragon for three months, so everything must be fine. Ridiculous. And he's like, yeah, here's to evolution. And I was like, is that called for, shall we shag? (laughs) Well, they do do walk off holding hands. Okay. And they haven't previously set any of that romance up. She touches his bloody lip with her thumb in a weird... odd and semi-sexual gesture. And he just stares at her like... Uh, yeah, my lip's bleeding. And he's, all, he's also got uh, Van Zandt's axe at the end. He's kept hold of that because as oh. they're walking off. Uh, did, what, did he get out of the dragon's stomach? <laughs> no, because it falls to the ground, doesn't it? The goes spiraling oh, through yeah, the air. No, so yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. the axe and yeah. I just wonder whether he's painted Van Zandt's face on it and when they're doing it, Van Zandt's in the corner painted onto the axe. Just propped against <laughs> yeah. a castle wall. He's still with us. <laughs> And a little cigar. <laughs> I feel really sorry for Rob Bowman, the director of this, because it wasn't a huge success. Um, he'd previously done the X-Files movie, and then he made this, and then he made Elektra, and that's the end of that story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, he was a TV director. He'd, yes. he'd, he'd directed Star Trek The Next Generation and X-Files on the TV, and I think he went back to TV. That, and I, that I, was I'm, his home. I'm being unnecessarily cruel. Uh, he does. Uh, he directed and exec produced uh, one of my favourite uh, shows, which was Castle with Nathan Fillion. Which, oh, is that good? Oh, it's great. It's not on anymore, but it was mm, I like great. It. I like Nathan Fillion. Exactly. There's, yeah. a, there's a scene in Castle where it's Halloween, and he comes out uh, dressed uh, as his character in Serenity, Firefly. Nice. <laughs> his daughter goes, what the fuck are you meant to be? And he's like, space cowboy? Yeah, yeah. That's great. I had a weird chat with Nathan Fillion once when we were drunk and I was telling him that he wasn't famous enough to play Ant-Man. <laughs> and his brother was absolutely pissing himself. His brother was there. He goes, I keep telling him that. I'm glad you finally told him. I'm like, no disrespect. You'd be a brilliant Ant-Man. You're just not famous enough. They're going to cast someone more famous. And his brother's going, brilliant. Keep telling him. I'm glad I didn't get bloody hit. He's massive. Oh, God. How? What? Just can you not do our PR? <laughs> Nathan, if you're listening, we'd love you on the show. Maybe you could do Ant Man. Yeah, with us. when you're more famous, you can come on the show. Ben Kingsley last week. <laughs> yeah, I was harsh, wasn't I? You sounded, you sounded really angry. Blooming heck. It is very funny. Still don't like him, though. Uh, <laughs> can't let it go. <laughs> Um, dragons. It got me. It got me researching dragons, as I didn't have a lot to say about this film, to be honest. Well, we um, can go d- back to the pigeons if d- you want. Did you ever see the film Dragon Slayer, Alex? Um, I, I believe I did. Is that the one with the friendly talking dragon, the guy who fakes slaying dragons because he's got a dragon mate? No, that's Dragon not Heart. That's dragon. dragon Heart. That's Dragon Heart. The dragon in Dragon Slayer. It's not how to train it. The animation. Yeah, that dragon's his friend. Yeah, I know, but I'm talking about Dragon Heart, where Sean Connery plays the dragon. <laughs> <Please don't do laughs> <that>. Clarice, <laughs> are the lambs still screaming? 
we're going to be talking about a lot of, we've already started, we're talking about a lot of bad names in the two films we're talking about today. But in Dragon Slayer, the dragon has a name and it's called Vermithrax Pejorative. <laughs> That's it? literally what the dragon's called in the filth. Piss off. Well, Did in, they refer to it as that throughout? Yes. In That's ridiculous. Reign of Fire, the dragon at the end, if you read the credits, is called Keith. <laughs> and I also found an article that Forbes did. You know, Forbes the magazine does a rich list every year. Mm. They did a rich list one year. They did the rich list of characters from the movies, and a dragon came second in that list. Based on the the the. Re- What's what are you word? talking about? The second richest character in all of movies and TV, as in, it's is a dragon. A, a, is this because of Smaug's treasure? <laughs> yeah. They right. they oh. they estimated that Smaug has fifty four point one billion in gold. Okay. Uh, How and about it, uh, Keith in this movie? <laughs> Does it mention it or is it? He's got a lot of tomatoes. No. Someone we talked about a couple of weeks ago made number one on that character richest characters list, and it's a dragon. No, it's an animated character. Smog was the only dragon on the list. Right. This one is more a duck. More a duck or a duck? <laughs> a talking duck. A duck. <laughs> okay, and we mentioned them on the... and it wasn't Donald Scrooge Duck. Duck. Yeah, Duck, Scrooge yeah. McDuck. Scrooge they reckon Duck. Scrooge McDuck was is the richest character. They reckon he's got sixty five point four billion. Forbes is not what I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, Roger Ebert didn't like this film he said he said because I kind of agreed with some of what he said uh, in terms of the oppressiveness of this film he said it is such a grim and dreary enterprise one prays for a flower or a ray of sunshine as those grotty warriors clamber into their cellars and over their slag heaps (laughs) very poetic Um, but it is quite a dour sort of po-faced vision Mm. of of the post-apocalypse it's very grey it yeah. is a, a very great film. I liked it more than that, a lot more than that. Sure. I didn't like it as much this time as I did when I was a little bit younger and I saw it for the first time. Um, all the bits that I was looking forward to didn't land as well this time around. I don't know whether that's just familiarity or um, I've just grown up a bit. I don't know. Seeing Christian Bale run around those kind of grey, grim parapets, it made me want Liam Neeson to be there training him. Because <laughs> <laughs> pra- I feel like he's even practising his Batman voice at some point. <laughs> and then I found another link to that film. Did you spot um, one of the children in the movie is is in Batman Begins in a tiny role, but he's much more famous for being in Game of Thrones. It's Joffrey Baratheon. Joffrey is in this film. Is he really? Yeah. yeah. Is he one of the kids watching the yeah, play? He's yeah, he's the one that yeah. loses his mind over yeah. it. So I can't verify this, but I was watching it and I'm pretty sure Sting's daughter, Elliot Sumner, is another of the kids <laughs> really? watching it. And I went, I trawled through every resource I could find online and there's no reference to her being in the movie. It's not on IMDb as a credit, but I swear to God, she's <laughs> one of the kids watching Fake Empire Strikes Back. How do you know what Sting's kid looked like when they were a kid? Because she looks exactly the same as she does now. Really? Yeah. Who is Elliot Sumner? She was in the band I Blame Coco. She was a musician. Uh, okay. But she's uh, she's in this, yeah. I'm have... sure she is. I don't know, but I think she is. If anyone can clarify that, it's a, it's a must know for me. I really can't go on with the show until I know. <laughs> uh, can the rest of us? Go on. Uh, shall we do our categories then? Sure. Yes. Um, Alex, what was your best scene? Uh, my best scene is either the Archangels scene when that whole set piece trying to shoot the nets onto the dragon's wings, it all going wrong, the helicopter dodging the dragon. I loved it as an action piece. Or... It's Alexander Siddig, who plays the radio operator, AJ, 
who is in Gotham as Ra's al Ghul, Peaky Blinders, uh, and also, obviously, uh, Doran Martell in Game of Thrones, because he has my favourite line in the whole thing, when there's the weird guy with the eagle, and mm-hmm. he thinks he's heard something on the radio, <laughs> yeah. and he goes, he goes, forget the bird, and use your fucking telescope, you wanker! <laughs> That is a good It's line. his only line. Yeah. And it's great. Uh, Chris, what is your best scene? Um, I think it's been superseded by the halo jump in Godzilla now, but I would say the chopper jump. Yeah. my it, Mine was just when they finally get to London. Because <laughs> I, I saw the poster before I saw mm. the film. Like, oh, that looks good. Mm. And then we didn't get to the um, Houses of Parliament for far too long. No, but you, it's, it's, an, it's an, an amazing image of the crumbling Houses it's a, of Parliament. It's brilliant. It takes yeah. you a second to, you're like, what's yeah, that? You've got, and you're like, oh, even no. to tell what it is. Yeah, yeah. it's really good. Yeah. Um, most valuable character, Chris? Uh, I think it's got to be Denton Van Zandt, <laughs> as played by Matthew McConaughey. He has gone to the go big or go home school of acting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the film sort of comes to life when he's on screen. But genuinely, I, it upsets me that this didn't do more because this is possibly one of my favourite McConaughey performances. And after this, and the fact it didn't do very well, he went back to cheesy rom-coms and what have you. And it took until, what, Dallas Buyers Club for him to sort of start exploring more exciting roles again. So I think if this had been bigger and a more of a success, we'd have got the brilliant McConaughey earlier because he's great in it. However, my MVC is the first tomato that's eaten (laughs) because I don't really like tomatoes, but the way they eat it, I'm like, Looks oh, delicious. I could go for a tomato right now. <laughs> what is your... Vicky, what's your MVC? <laughs> oh, spot it. Spot um, me. Oh, was it a joke? Yeah, not really. It was just a thing I spotted. <laughs> go on. What's your MVC, VC? Oh, thanks, Chris. Yeah. Thanks. thanks. Thanks, babe. Um, I'm just going to have to say Christian Bale because he, I think he does very well. Like He does a lot of big acting. Um and he just completely commits. Like some of the script is a bit <laughs> patchy in places. Like when he's having that sort of breakdown when he's trying to get the kids to recite their prayer and he can't quite do it because he's so fucking traumatized or whatever. And a woman has to step in and be like, What do we do when we sleep? And he's like, Oh, keep one eye on the sky. Yeah. What was the other one? Uh, what do we do when we see them coming? Run. Dig, 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 dig. <laughs> it's like, Have you got a shovel with you? No. <laughs> no fuck. <laughs> Never mind. So yeah, I think I think he's really good, and I like a man in a jumper. What can I say? Okay, good. Yep. Thanks. Uh, you're welcome, um, Alex. If you <laughs> Sorry, I was just I was actually thinking about the next movie and how well Charlie Hunnam wears a jumper. But exactly. we'll get there. We'll exactly. get there. We'll get there. Uh, what would you change? Um, so I agree with what you said earlier. I would absolutely fire the entire marketing department for this movie because <laughs> I remember seeing the posters and literally dragons raining fire down on London. <clears throat> and I was like, incredible. This is like, do not pitch this as an uh, event movie, an epic disaster movie with tons of dragons breathing fire and then set it on the Northumberland Moors in the drizzle because <laughs> you just, you're thrown a curveball and it's not what you expect. It's either that or because a lot of the scenes that apparently they wanted to film, they weren't able to film because of the 2001 foot and mouth outbreak Mm. uh, which prevented them from completing the movie in the way they wanted so I probably wouldn't feed farm animals (laughs) the meat of other dead farm animals that's contaminated and therefore we could have had a better movie it's a really modest goal I like that thanks very much fight the power (laughs) what would you change Uh, I feel like there's quite a lot of unspoken sexual tension between Quinn and Van Zandt Mm. so I would have them I love scene 
Sweaty sex. <laughs> Yuck. Um, Does he keep his body warmer on and nothing else? Oh, I quite like that. That's weird. Yeah, I like that. Big tick from me. Get on the tank. <laughs> but with nothing. Yeah, that works. That 100% works. Oh, anyway, let me just fan myself. Bear with. Does it really? Him sitting aside his big tank penis with just a body warmer on, that does it for you. It doesn't do it, but it doesn't not do it. Has he got shoes on or is he barefoot? No, he's barefoot. I don't have a problem with feet, do I? So that doesn't that doesn't bother me I in mean, the least. I was so... Or desert boots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you with desert boots. If Because I, I imagine he hasn't had a shower in a bit, so there is filth underneath those toenails. That doesn't bother me either. I know, what? You, I know you think there's something wrong. I'm not scared of my animal nature and I'm not scared of yours. That's why I'm not scared of feet. Okay. All right? Okay. <laughs> Vicky, what would you change? <laughs> I would change, sorry. The last 30, the seconds. Last 30 seconds. Right, so when um, Christian Bale meets the Mandragon in London and he gets sprayed in the face with the napalm, that should either save his life at a crucial point because the dragon like recognises him mm. or it causes more trouble. So he's like got a scent on him and he can never hide from the dragon. That's great. I know. That's really good. That's a great change. And I wasn't listening because Alex spilled his drink on the table. (laughs) So I'm busy mopping that up. I didn't actually hear what you said because I was trying to find some tissue as well, but it was great. Which is really good. <laughs> we'll but I hope the audience likes it. Yeah, those two people you saw at a wedding. Let's see what they think. Dom- Dominic and Ben. Yeah. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This week I was given Pacific Rim, a film that sees a crack or fissure between two tectonic plates open and through this crack or fissure, giant monsters appear and start wreaking havoc. Thankfully, some humans with regular sounding names aim to stop them by closing this crack or fissure. Names like Stacker Pentecost, Rayleigh Beckett, his brother Yancey Beckett, Dr. Newton Newt Geisler, Hannibal Chow, Dr. Herman Gottlieb, Hercules Herc Hansen, Captain Merritt and McTeague. There's also some massive robots like Striker Eureka, Cherno Alpha and Coyote Tango which somehow sound less ridiculous. <laughs> I will say I cheated a bit because Captain Merritt is actually just the captain of the boat at the start. But <laughs> oh, really? He's not really in it very much. But what makes it even funnier is his real name as an actor is Joe Pingu. <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice. <laughs> it works on so many levels. So, so first question, who wrote those bloody names? Was it Travis Beecham who, Travis who Beecham. came up with the story or was, yeah. it, or was it Guillermo del Toro who kind of rewrote it? Who knows? Because yeah, I think they worked on the script for, together for quite a long time. But so was, who the fuck knows? It was Travis Beecham's idea because he says that he was walking along a beach and looking out to sea and he imagined a giant monster fighting a giant robot and that's how he came up with the idea. It doesn't mention in the interview I read whether he had his iPad with him at the time as what was watching Top Gun, Independence <laughs> Day, The Matrix or Godzilla. Or ever thought to himself, that's a bit puerile for a grown man to think about on a lovely stroll by the sea. Yeah, but if your name's Beecham, then maybe that's all you do is stroll along a beach. Really? No. I don't know why I, don't know why, I, don't know why I said that. But this is... so. There's an interesting story to how Guillermo del Toro got involved in making Pacific Rim in the first place because this was very much a rebound movie for del Toro because he'd done a deal with Universal to turn H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness, and I mention it because it's a book I've actually read. It's because it's only about 50 pages. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> not even a book. It's a short story. It is a story. It's a short story. And he wanted to turn that into a movie. Universal wouldn't let him because they wouldn't give him $150 million for an R-rated movie and he wouldn't make it PG-13. So the deal collapsed. And he said, uh, this has never happened to me, but I cried a lot that weekend. I don't want to sound like a puny soul, but I was devastated. That happened on the Friday. He signed on to Pacific Rim. On the Monday. Well, you're, what you're not saying is that he also had spent three years developing The Hobbit mm. as two movies, and then the plug got pulled on that. So that's why there were, you know, seven or eight years between movies for him. I just wonder, like, if you're Pacific Rim and he starts on you on the Monday morning after losing at the Mountains of Madness, I just, I'd be worried. I'd be sort of like, are you serious about going into this? Because, you know, 
I, I, I'm not a horror movie and <laughs> I, I, I can't offer what... I can't be what she was to you. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, and he'll be like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. So Pacific Room... I am ready. I promise I'm ready. Pacific Room, tell me about yourself. Are you like about, <laughs> are you about sort of like... Uh, what then you're... accidentally calls it <laughs> the mountains, whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's like, what are you, Pacific Rim? And it's like, oh, I'm about sort of surfers on the California coast. And he's like... Are there monsters? <laughs> no, not really. There are now. There are now. Yeah. There are now. You will change for me. Yeah, because on the surface, it doesn't seem like one of his films. It's kind of a specific aesthetic and style he has. But it's dedicated to Ray Harryhausen and Ishiro Honda, who both created monsters in movies in the 50s and 60s. And so you can see what the hook was for him. Mm. It was to make... It was to make a, a a Japanese monster movie, and as he also says in the commentary, it's to make a mecha movie as well, which is you know the kind of Japanese robot movies. Um, when was the first time you saw this? Because I remember seeing it at the cinema, uh, and I was reviewing at the time for a paper, and I gave it five out of five. I absolutely loved this movie the first time I saw it. I mean, I was because this is like the perfect film for where I was working at the time. I they invited me to watch early footage. I interviewed the cast before I'd seen the film, and then uh, I, I, I did a lot around this film. So, I, um, yeah, I saw it at the cinema, um, and that is. Uh, it. I saw I saw it on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> but had you heard of this one? No. You hadn't heard of this one? No, didn't recognise the poster, didn't recognise anything about it. But I imagine you like Guillermo del Toro's other work, yeah, like yeah, Pan's yeah. Labyrinth yeah, and yeah. Uh, The Devil's Backbone. I think stuff. I saw the poster for this and went, oh, I don't watch Transformers movies, so not sure. for me. Understood. But I didn't feel like that after watching it. Ooh. I, I really liked it. Oh, okay. So, again, we've got a lot of exposition at the start. Very quickly, as I said, monsters, Keiju, are coming through this gap and they're attacking Earth and they build these giant robots called Jaeger, which require two pilots and these pilots... Who I like to call the Jaegermeisters. Yeah, definitely. Good. Definitely. I was, who fancies a Jaeger bomb? I did think building oh, the Jaegers... I'm saving that for later. Oh, sorry. That was when I was talking about the ending. Sorry, and I ruined it because it wasn't yeah. even funny. I did think that building the Jaegers was maybe a little premature because no one's thought about chucking a net over them. <laughs> but that, that didn't work on the dragons. <laughs> Quite mean... a bit. <laughs> and it gets quite complicated when it comes to how you power, how you control the Jaegers. Yeah. It's drifting. So you mind meld through memories with the body of a giant machine. Well, they use so many different terms. It's a neural network, a neural pathway. Yeah. Handshake. Neural handshake. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And this wasn't in Travis Beecham's script. This is something that Guillermo came up with. Oh, so that's interesting because that's the bit that elevates it above just some digital insanity for far too long, yeah. for 40 minutes too long. Like the mind meld bit is, is a really good and, and So they're too powerful for one person. So it has to be two people. And they have to have some kind of bond, the two people. The deeper the bond, the better you fight together. Mm. Um, but the best bit about that is the fact that when one of heart, when the one of you dies, because the bit that really got me is where Charlie Hunnam's brother dies at the very start, and it's like he was there for the entire death. Like yeah. his head was in his head, so he experienced another human dying without dying himself. Mm. That's dark. It's cool. So he's suffering from trauma for a lot of the film. Hell yeah, poor Charlie Hunnam. Poor Charlie Hunnam and his made-up accent. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever interviewed Charlie Hunnam? I I haven't. Um, I was meant to interview him for um, King Arthur. Legend of the Sword, mm -hmm. and uh, we were on set, and we'd done all the rest of the cast, and he uh, had a break, um, 
uh, but he was going to have to film again later. And so he apologized that he couldn't do the interviews because he couldn't come out of character as King Arthur to do them. So I didn't get a chance to interview him. Wow. The only time that's happened to me, and I don't know if I've said that on this podcast, so forgive me if I have, is when I was on the set of a film and an actress wouldn't come out of character to do the interview because it took too much concentration. And that was the movie Fat Slags. <laughs> <laughs> she was playing a fat slag. It was um, it was Emma Thompson's sister, Obi- uh, Sophie Thompson. And I thought, can you not? <laughs> Does it take that much concentration? <laughs> wow. Uh, but Charlie Hunnam is from Newcastle. I heard that once at, uh, you know, Sony, uh, the film studio Sony have a, a, a huge event in Cancun or they used to anyway. It's called the Summer of Sony and they get all their stars and all their big movies coming down. And um, uh, they were doing Django Unchained at that point. And Leonardo DiCaprio was there. And we were all obviously like, oh, can we get Leo? And they were like, really sorry. Uh, Leo is so um, deep in this horrible role that he plays in this movie that he doesn't really want to come out and, and talk to you. And I was like, uh-huh. He looks all right over there. Yeah. Enjoy that margarita, though. <laughs> He's literally there. Yeah. I'm going to say, you're not on set. He's flown into Cancun. <laughs> it wasn't like... What a piss take. He's, he's in his room. He, he won't come. No, he's not. I can sit. Leo! Leo! I'd prefer it if they just came over to you and said, yeah, he doesn't want to do the interview. Fine. Don't lie to me. Uh, but he's from Newcastle, but he's been in America for a long time, and he, see, he doesn't know what his accent is anymore, to the point that in the... In the new Guy Ritchie film, I think he's let him, uh, the gentleman, he's let him do his own accent. Okay. And I don't think he knows what his own accent is anymore. But that happens if you're young and you, you know, move to America, I suppose. Mm. I thought the accent he had in this, was he not trying to sound American? Or is it that just what he oh, sounds was he? like? That's what I, th- I right, assumed. Yeah, yeah, I just assumed. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Because it, it was very odd to listen to. But I thought if you were North American, would you be like, oh, yeah, he's trying to be us? I didn't mind his accent. I'll be honest. I didn't okay. mind his accent. Okay. And Guillermo del Toro hired him because he said um, he saw him and he did. He auditioned him before, I think, for Prince Numada in Hellboy 2, uh, the role that went to Luke Goss in the end. And he went, I like that guy. I'd want to have a beer with that guy. And I think that's fair. I think he's a bit preachy. Uh, there's a bit where he's talking to Mako and she's like, I've always wanted to be you or something. And he's like, yeah, kid, look, uh, basically when you've been me, you've got to make decisions and then you've got to live with those decisions, which is a stupid thing to say because everyone has to live with their decisions. Does he call her kid? No, he doesn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, because but she does, she is absolutely petrified by his torso. She is. When she sees <laughs> yeah. him with his top off, like, oh she <laughs> literally runs into a room and slams a door, yeah. but then can't help having another look. That's a little cheeky peep. Yeah. He says, uh, Del Toro says of um, uh, Rinko Kikuchi, who plays Mako, she's not going to be a sex kitten who comes out in cut-off shorts and tank tops. She's going to be a real earnestly drawn character. Yeah. Earnestly drawn, yeah. badly acted. Um, I think she just does a lot. I, I read that before I watched the film. And I was excited to see how that would um, translate into the character on screen. And everything she does, she's given permission to do by her daddy or by a man. And that's not that great for me. Um, and she's she does a lot of pleading. Like when Idris Elba won't let her fight Charlie Hunnam, she mm. looks and she almost literally says, please, daddy, let me do it and yeah. cries. That's that's an interesting scene, isn't it? That's where that's where I got my Matrix reference from, the bit where they're fighting each other with sticks. Do you, uh, do you know how Gwemma del Toro describes uh, that scene? He goes, um, he wanted to film Rayleigh and Mako's uh, emotional intimacy, 
uh, and he wanted to do that by filming their big fight in a way that he would have shot a sex scene, mm. which makes you wonder what kind of sex Del Toro actually has. Really interesting sex. Well, there's some weird sex going on in that um, Haunted House movie that he did. Right. So I just, I, I love the idea of him going, do you want to come round about eight o'clock? Yeah. <laughs> bring a, bring a bring massive a stick. stick. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said he wanted to make a film that... Um, <laughs> Who are all these people? They're going to cheer every time. Uh... Once again, I'd be like, Mm, I'm not saying no. Uh, he said he wanted to focus on a film that takes place when the resistance are losing rather than winning. And so there's two things that are going on here. The kaiju are kind of, uh, sorry, the Jaegers are being put to bed because it's not working. And they decide, instead, they decided to build a wall, which is very prescient, isn't it? In terms of, especially with Guillermo being a Mexican mm. filmmaker, they call it the wall of life. And it's this um, coastal war program promising. Uh, um, Again, in both these movies, they seem to have terrible plans. It's like these things just walk through buildings, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, maybe if we build a wall, a massive wall. <laughs> but like, what's different about this wall? At least explain why it's different. And then you see on the TV, it's go. It took ten minutes to get through the That's wall. That's the thing. And you yeah. think you meet the two scientists. Um, oh, Charlie, Charlie Day. Day, and what's he called? Um, Bern Gorman. Bern Gorman. And you, they're like, there's no money in their department. There's nothing's been pumped into R and D. It's all gone on a wall. And you think maybe give these guys a bit of budget well, because what, the wall doesn't work. So maybe a few more scientists. Well, what, what blew my mind is that the the commentary for this was done in 2013, and on it, Del Toro set, starts slagging off politicians who want to build walls and say, "Build a wall." He says, "Building yeah. a wall is the easiest solution for any politician, and it's always the worst." Yes, he saw what was coming in America. Well, yeah, but there's walls everywhere, Chris, all over the world for years. Sure, but they're trying to build one in America right now between America and Mexico. That's literally what I'm referring to. I really like the character um, who wears the bow tie and has the quiff who... Oh, always... the Elvis lookalike. Yeah, yeah his, his character name's Tendo Choi and he's played by a guy called Clifton Collins Jr. Mm, and good actor, I like him. He Isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, you know when you're sort of going, oh, I know I've seen him in something. Westworld, obviously. He was yeah. in Westworld. Uh, he plays the drug dealer in Rules of Attraction who goes, $300? You owe me $3,000, asshole! Where's my fucking money? He's really good opposite... Uh, James Vanderbeek in that. Mm. And uh, also, he's in uh, the brilliant 1992 movie Fortress with Christopher Lambert. Another future Clash of the Titles film, I would imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I have a weird theory about him in this movie. And I have a weird theory about this movie because it feels like there's an unexplored traitor narrative inside the... Hong Kong base, or as as Idris Elba manages to call it without a smile on his face, the Shatter Dome. Wicked. I loved it. <laughs> Welcome to the Shatter that's Dome. A good, that's a good Fucking word. brilliant. Welcome to the Shatter Dome. Uh, you want some wellies? <laughs> <laughs> it's like ridiculous. But every time, so understand this. When he spots a keiju on the screen, it's a blip. Mm -hmm. And he goes, we got one. It's a blip. It's a category four. And then he'll come up with a code name and he'll go, code name... Knife head, <laughs> and then it'll cut to them seeing it, and they'll be like, "Fucking hell, was that a guess?" Because it's got a knife for a head. 
And he's like, he's like, yeah, 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 just lucky. Get it. You say what? It's got a knife for a head. Fuck. Wow, what are the chances? What a coincidence. He can't see what they look like. It's a blip on a screen and he somehow goes, knife head. Uh, 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 I, well, sorry, I meant long, long arms. Has he got long arms too? Um, regarding, you mentioned Newt and Gottlieb. Um, did you like them? In this film, I thought found Charlie Day a little bit annoying. So yeah, so um, I had the same reaction when I saw this and interviewed him, and he was quite nice, and he made me laugh in the interview, and thought, oh, I should watch this sitcom that he's in. And now I realise that, I mean, he's that sitcom's amazing. It's always set in Philadelphia. It's the greatest. And Guillermo del Toro clearly likes that sitcom and just got him to play the same character <laughs> in this film. Yeah. And I find him funny in that sitcom, and now I'm finding funny in this film. Yeah. So it's it's a vicious circle, but I wish I'd seen that comedy before I interviewed him because I would have gone in very differently. Yeah, it feels like he's been given free reign to improvise, and Bern Gorman, who plays her, mm. Herman Gottlieb, hasn't because I watched a lot of the outtakes, which is just Charlie Day riffing and stuff. Right, and it's like uh, Bern doesn't uh, join in. That was a bit. I interviewed them together, and that's what it was a bit like. To right. be honest, he would say sort of dry British things mm-hmm. every now and then, but Charlie would just sort of go off on one. Strangely, there was the point where the, the kaiju come to get um, Charlie Day because he's mind melded with them, and it goes both ways, and he, he thinks that the, it's looking for him. Yeah. And as one of the main characters, like, oh, would you please just fucking suck his brains out or something? Because <laughs> he's doing my head in. And these Glad tent- you said brains then. <laughs> <laughs> but the tentacles come out and then it runs off. And it's like, mm, okay. And their <laughs> relationship, though, I I got a little bit when when Burn, uh, when Gottlieb, Burn Gorman is like, he finally finds uh, Charlie Day and there he's alive and he's like, I'm going to do it with you. The only way to do it is together. I think that's one of the most heartfelt relationships in the yeah, whole thing. Nice. A lot more than Mako and Raleigh. I was like, oh, those two really do love each other, despite their differences. Yeah, yeah and they pl- have quite a big role to play in the sequel. I don't know if you ever saw the sequel. Yeah, I have. It's shit. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, it's just. the re- Watching the sequel makes you realise how good Guillermo del Toro is and how good this original is because really they could have done a similar thing with the sequel and it feels like an absolute cookie cutter movie whereas this feels yeah. inspired I felt like the sequel they were they were actively trying to make a children's film yeah. whereas this felt like it was trying to be for everyone because I thought it was fine as a kid's film but it just you know I'm not a kid anymore mm. um <laughs> and how about Ron Perlman as Hannibal Chower the black marketeer <sighs> Did you enjoy his arrival in the movie? How could you not? Okay. I am. Um... Uh, Guillermo said he's a cross between a pimp and a teddy boy, is how he dressed him. He looks amazing. <laughs> I like him because he is at least the first time we get a reference to just how ridiculous the freaking names are in this movie. Because yeah. he does go, <laughs> I name myself yeah. after my favorite historical character and my second favorite <laughs> Szechuan restaurant in Brooklyn. And that's how <laughs> he came to Hannibal Chow. And you're like, that's good. Yeah. That's funny. And Gwema del Toro, though, he says of him, he goes, uh, when Ron comes in to play a character called Hannibal Chow, you make up your own story as compelling as anything I could invent. Lazy. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Throwing it back. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I thought he was great. There's a really funny outtake where um, him and Charlie Day are standing on the balcony and Ron Perman goes, you see that Cajo over there? And uh, the voice comes in, Cajo's at the other side, Ron. He goes, <laughs> Sorry, that Keiju. It <laughs> <laughs> points in the other direction. Sorry, that Keiju. You're going to have to do the whole line again. <laughs> and how about um, Idris Elba? Oh, my God, amazing. A stack of uh, pentacles. Amazing. 
because he seems to understand what film he's in. Mm. So it's meant to be hyper and a bit daft and a little bit, not edgy, but some seriousness running through it. Um, but he's not taking it. He's just doing the part the way that I think it should be done. Whereas I didn't feel like Charlie Hunnam knew where he was. Like he's, I don't know. I just didn't, it just didn't work for me. But Idris Elba is like menacing. And I like that. And he says Shatterdome without cracking a smile. I I think he didn't nail the big line in the movie though. That's... What's the big line? Absolutely on the money. Uh, we're can- we're cancelling the apocalypse. It's the weirdest thing. Oh, right. I felt like Matthew McConaughey could have nailed that because I was I was comparing that they both films have a bunch of speeches, you okay, know, yeah. like like your Independence Day speech. Yeah. And that I was every time I watch it, I'm like. Mm. So I remember that was in the trailer, and I remember thinking as I saw the trailer, I'm like, oh, that's... Yeah, they reshot that for the movie. Yeah, it was. It's, it's a weird one because I think he's good in it, and I think he's well cast. And Guillermo del Toro was like, I wanted to cast someone who could bring a lot of authority, but you could feel the weight of the world on his shoulders, which yes. he does. But that's like, I watched it this time, and I went, do you know what? It's not his fault. It's the writing. Because the writing just isn't that Independence Day level of speech. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that you can do a speech because it's quite short as well. And you really, he never gets in, he never gets to build up to yeah. it. Washed it washed over me completely. Yeah. I've yeah. been trying to write an, an inspirational sports halftime speech. Nice. It's hard. Yes, it it's is. It's hard to not, to, not, to not completely write in cliches because it's just been done yeah. so, so much to death. So I see, I feel their pain. I have a couple of other problems. Uh, first of all, <laughs> clearly the Jaeger's like, best weapon is the sword. Yeah, why are you hanging yes. on to it? Like, yes. like, <laughs> why not deploy earlier? I've got yeah. written down. Yeah. yeah, Just get the sword out of the stock because it just slices through Keiju immediately. Really well, yeah. Stop using that cannon that takes 10 minutes to charge up. That's you, not punching you, things. You've got a sword that you haven't shown us. And you can also pick up... Um, sea liners and use them as swords yes. as well do that yeah do that lord <laughs> yeah also if you are going to train someone who's never been drifting before mm. neural handshaking yep. don't put them in a loaded cage you no. build a fucking simulator Correct. don't go uh so we're going to just uh put mako straight into the big jaeger and <laughs> also it's fully armed everyone yeah. cool 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 well, look, cool go on oh wait she's launching the cannon well, they make a big deal about the fact that you need to have this special bond or connection. And then when Stacker Pentecost gets in a Jaeger with Chuck, he says, oh, you're just an egotistical jerk with daddy issues. You're a simple yep. puzzle I solved on day one, which completely undermines the whole concept of them having to have a special bond. Yeah. That annoyed me. Yeah. Um, did you like the visuals, though? Uh, on the commentary, uh, Guillermo del Toro, he said, I'm not just creating eye candy, I'm creating eye protein. Oh, yuck. <laughs> Which made me cringe a, a bit. Horrible image. Uh, but he spent he said they spent a year uh making sure the mechanics and engineering and look of the Jaegers would be believable. It is yeah. Which feels like too long. <laughs> <laughs> um But yeah, did you like the uh visuals? Because obviously a lot of it's at night in sort of windswept, so you can't quite yeah, make out what's going on. I lost focus by the end like when they're in the breach well, you, did you start to drift I did start to drift <laughs> very good was that a double fist pump <laughs> and yeah I, and there's a lot of shouting at the end I was just like oh for fuck's it sake it becomes white noise a little bit doesn't yeah. it yeah I felt that as well I like the bit where they go through the breach and end up in the alien world and you get those little sort of weird little aliens there who build they're the like, cage. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> Something's like, falling from the sky. Uh, we didn't think this through, boys. 
They're the colonists. They're the the precursors. They're called. They're the creatures who consume the world, and that's when that's when they have to set off the Jaeger bomb. What you mean? Jaeger, sorry, what, Chris, that was good. That you was mean um, you mean the the creatures that they they come to a planet and then they consume <clears> and then move on like Independence Day. Yeah, <laughs> I mean literally word for word what the aliens do in Independence Day. It's not even like. Change them up, Travis. <laughs> Change them up. <laughs> Something interesting that that GDT said on the podcast, on the podcast, on the on the um, commentary was that the biggest influence on this film, aside from those two uh, people it's dedicated to, was Mexican wrestling. Oh yeah, he said in terms of the colours that mm-hmm. they use, the moves that they use, the 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 um, the fact that people root for different. Monsters and different yeah. kaiju and different Jaegers. And I thought that was really interesting. He, he said, I really tried to evoke, you know, what I grew up with in Mexico That's with great. the luchador. Honestly, that is absolutely great. Um, however, as wrestling goes, lovely. Uh, I love the tribute. Get the fucking sword out. Just, <laughs> just don't have them wrestle for ages because you like wrestling because it's the end of the world. You know, we're cancelling the apocalypse, apparently. <laughs> is that how he says it? <laughs> A little bit of up top. <laughs> no, Maybe? Goes, I think he goes, we are cancelling the apocalypse. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> is the size and scale of it just too much for, for us to comprehend? In the other film, we're watching a human versus a dragon. Here, it's just these two things yeah. that are so colossally big. Yeah. Is it is that a problem with well, this? Well, but the- then when the Russian couple in their Jaeger, what? So I, I think what you're saying is true. But then there are also moments that he brings it back down to like sure. a, a understandable scale. So the Russians, they don't, they they drown because their Jaeger gets like knocked bonked over well, in the water or something. Initially drowned, and then the nuclear reactor inside their Jaeger yeah. explodes, killing them. So yeah. interestingly, the Russian Jaeger is based on a T-series Russian tank. Uh, crossed with a containment silo to make it look like a walking nuclear power plant and it is destroyed when its reactor explodes. It's called Cherno-Alpha. It's not. It's called Cherno-Alpha. That is Is the name of it, right? And I was like, so Cherno has to mean nuclear or something because they wouldn't reference Chernobyl Mm, so blatantly. Cherno means black in Russian. It does not have anything to do with nuclear. They named the Russian Jaeger that gets destroyed by a nuclear reaction Cherno. Okay. Mm. It's weird. It also doesn't have an escape hatch. That's true. And the idea is that the Russians are so hardcore that they are just going to go down with their craft. Okay. They they don't want to survive if I their craft is... I thought it was is... one of the scariest bits of the film when they drown. I just it's thought it's really horrible. It really the, the is. sense of you're trapped in this armour and you're trapped in a big robot and now you're going to slowly drown. Horrible. What about the triplets, though? They yeah. were cool! Yeah, <laughs> Again, it really feels like they get rid of a lot of the good Jaegers early Pretty on. Pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Did you think the power of this film was, was diminished on TV versus when you saw it in 3D in the cinema? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, kind of demands to be watched on a big screen, doesn't it? It's a spectacle movie, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um in I my research- uh, can I talk about one thing? Uh, uh, no, so, no, 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 it's fine. No, you talk about it. No, 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 go, no, go on. Go on, go on, go on, go on. I'll do it at the end. I'll do it. At the end. Um I've been touring a, doing a tour of local charity shops to pick up DVDs so I can do this on the cheap when I watch the commentaries. Commentaries. Um I've definitely found in the last 6 months the most popular film in charity shops is Pacific Rim. Really? A lot of I, there's a lot of copies of that in Balham. And there's four charity shops in Balham and they're full to the brim with Pacific Rims. <laughs> Not a good sign. Um shall we do the bits? Or oh. is there more to say? I had a lot more. Oh, okay. But no, well, it's Christmas well, lunch though, Chris. Like that's why I said let's phone the restaurant. Do you want, do you want to no, phone? no, I'm done. 
I'm done. Let's okay. Do this. Let's uh, do <laughs> Chris, if you want to say more, I don't want to hold. I don't want. I don't want to eat lunch with you seething because you haven't. Had no, I'll it. just and have you've to had say a lot I... of that alcoholic water, and I don't want you to get. I'll just annoyed. have to say it over lunch. Okay, oh. uh, Chris, what was your best scene? You know, oh, sorry, I've also got a quiz, by the way. So I've got a quiz as well. Oh, fucking you know. hell! <laughs> right, strap mine's in. really quick. It's really quick. All right, good. Uh, best scene, please, Chris. Uh, when Minnie Mako was being dwarfed by the giant Keiju, cool. I felt like that really humanized it all, and 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 there was real emotion in that scene. Yeah. Yep, totally. And my favourite scene, and the scene that I think looks most like a Guillermo del Toro movie is the flashback to Little Mako with her little red shoe and that whole thing. Yeah. It's either that or using a ship as a baseball bat where it's like, <laughs> batter up! I was like, one of those two, please. I like it when they're scavenging inside the dead cage and it's like, oh no, she's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your most valuable character. No, who, what's your favourite scene? She's just done I just it. Said oh, it. did you? Yeah. Oh, you're not listening. <laughs> Are you that mad? Are you already angry? I'm livid. Uh, uh, newborn kaiju wreaking havoc. I thought that was funny. Yeah, it is funny. fun. That's okay. That's interesting because that's my worst scene. I think that baby strangling itself <laughs> with its umbilical oh, it's cord horrible. is so unnecessary. That's a Gwema del Toro scene as well. He was like, I've always wanted to see a little kaiju mm. birth. It's really upsetting because it's got big bug eyes and it actually looks sad and not scary. And then it eats Ron Pearl, Ron Perlman and you're like, <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. So it actually gets the bad arms dealing criminal guy and then he's in a fucking post credit sequence where he cuts himself out of it and goes, where's my shoe? Really? Yeah, he's in the, yeah, he survives. Oh, no. All right, I'll have Charlie Hunnam's accent. Is that what I actually had written down? <laughs> I, I, I crossed it out and what, changed it. And what, what's that for? Your best scene? Uh, most favourite character with Charlie Hunnam's accent. Oh, okay. That's, that's a good one. What's yours? Knifehead. Uh, Idris Elba for me he just steals the whole thing even when he's just staring into the sunlight anyway oh his office does look over a beautiful sunset <laughs> doesn't like, it yeah. I am so powerful um, one change please Alex uh, so okay I do actually have quite a good change this week um, Gwema del Toro is a pacifist and when he was asked about the violence in this movie, uh, he says, and this is a quote from him, this film is in another realm. There is no correlation to the real world. There is no fear of a copycat Keiju attack because a Keiju saw it on the news <laughs> and said, I'm going to destroy Seattle. That is a scene that needs to be in this movie. <laughs> I want to see a fat, out-of-shape Keiju <laughs> on its sofa eating pizza surrounded by empty beer cans, really out of shape, and then it sees this Keiju on the news smashing up a city and it suddenly looks around and sort of goes, What am I doing? What the fuck am I doing <laughs> I with my life? I used to be life? like that. And then it sort of goes into a uh, Keiju training montage. <laughs> <laughs> we see the fat Keiju in a grey tracksuit it's running along some train tracks. It wants to get back in shape. <laughs> then we see it punching a little punch bag. It's got its Keiju boxing trainer next to it. It's going, you can do this. Then it's running up some steps. Then it's in a big Keiju meat locker. It's punching the carcass of a blue whale. It wants to be back in there. That's the change. And I, I know it could fight because he sounds like a Kaiju. Is Tyson Fury. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like one. <laughs> and he's big enough. Um, that's that's my very simple and underproduced change this week. <laughs> I, again, a bit like the first film, I thought there was unspoken sexual tension between Raleigh and Chuck. Yes. Uh, when they first meet each other, they argue. Then when they have the punch up, I felt like there was a lot going on there. So I want to see sweaty sex between um, Rob and um, 
the one with the funny accent. The cool, cool, from cool. EastEnders. Do you know his very special sort of black suit that he wears when he's piloting the Keiju? No. Does he, you know, Raleigh? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's got that sort of like oh, metal yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Would you like him just to be wearing the top half of that? With his feet out because they they don't look breathable. His those feet boots. would look really silly <laughs> in comparison, yeah. like really puny. Yeah. So no, actually. Okay. Uh, my change is Idris Elba is not about to die anyway. Um, so he's in peak physical condition and he's just been offered a generous retirement package or something. But he sacrifices himself for his daughter anyway. Ooh, that's much better. I like the retirement package scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of admin, <laughs> but it's worth yeah. it. Uh, before we do the verdict, <laughs> did these films get anything right about 2020? Uh, yes. That, now, actually, that leads me on to nicely to the quiz. Would you mind if I did the quiz now? Because it makes perfect sense given what you've just said. Quiz okay, time. Uh, really quickly. Um, it's, I'm calling the quiz Visions of the Future, Tomorrow's World Gone Wrong. Mm. So, question number one. Which of these were featured on Tomorrow's World first series with the prediction that they would be mainstream within three years? Just one of them. It, just one of them. So one of these was genuinely on Tomorrow's World with the absolute crystal clear prediction that mainstream within three years, no question. Are you ready? Paper pants, cheese gloves, cannabis nappies. <laughs> cheese gloves. I'm saying cheese gloves. I need to hear them all first. I can't do it without laughing. Paper pants, cheese gloves, cannabis nappies. No, paper pants. I'm paper going, pants. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Wait a minute. I had so much fun. This doing is going to take a while, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's fine. Also featured on Tomorrow's World as a genuine rival to human competitors and world champion by the year 2000, that was their prediction. Was it a self driving bobsleigh, GPS darts, a robotic snooker arm? A robotic snooker arm. Snooker arm. Oh, fuck's sake, that's right as well. Yeah. Is it really obvious? I think we used to watch Tomorrow's World, probably. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's see if you can get this one. What was hailed on Tomorrow's World as the perfect protein source guaranteed to feature on British restaurant menus? Was it bee pie, worm omelette, or moth risotto? What the fuck was the last one? <laughs> Wait a minute. Moth so... risotto, I think. <laughs> it was. What was the first one? <clears throat> this is going to take forever. Shush. Bee pie. Bee pie, worm omelette, or moth risotto. I'm going worm omelette. Yeah, I think I'm going to go worm omelette as well. Oh, fuck off it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we both got three out of three. <laughs> oh. Well played, Alex. Well done. Well done. I'm sorry. That was what I spent yesterday afternoon doing. Did you have a quiz? Uh, I do have a, I do have a quiz. Uh, my quiz um, <laughs> uh, is I've been watching Tomorrow's World. And... <laughs> so uh, you see at the start of Pacific Rim, the Golden Gate Bridge being destroyed. So my quiz this week is a play on the famous title of the Toho Studios movie, Destroy All Monsters. And it's called Destroy All all monuments. <laughs> this is this is the music from Destroy All Monsters. Oh, I was say so you didn't buy another bit of music with your album. <laughs> oh, that's oh, it. good music. It's great, isn't it? Anyway, uh, that's uh, a great uh, Toho Studios movie. The last great ones of the initial era. So I'm going to give you a monument mm -hmm. from uh, the world, an actual monument, and you need to get you get one point. For each movie you can name in which that monument is being destroyed, damaged, or has already previously been destroyed on screen. So I'm going to name the monument. You name a movie. It's a quick fire thing. Name as many as you can. I'll give you a point for each one you get right. The first monument. Name a movie that saw the Golden Gate Bridge destroyed. Pacific Rim. No, not the ones we're doing today. <laughs> Independence Day. 
No. Uh, Godzilla. Which Godzilla? The Roland Emmerich one. No. The Gareth Edwards one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, Golden Gate Shark Bridge. versus Thingy. Yes. 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 Thank yes. you. <laughs> shark versus Thingy. What is it? Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Thank you. Um, That's me done, to be honest. <laughs> Okay, is that yeah, if you, on, yeah, yeah. you could have also had X-Men The Last Stand, San Andreas The Core, or It Came From Beneath The Sea. The Eiffel Tower. We're on one each so far. Uh, Superman? Uh, three? Nope. Two? Um, nope. Doesn't get destroyed, does it? Nope. Does he save it? Uh, the Eiffel Tower. Independence Day? Nope. Um, uh, Deep Impact? Nope. No. Uh, uh, Armageddon? Yes! Oh, fuck! <laughs> That's annoying! Um, There's four more possibles, but if you... I'm done. Yeah, go on. All right, you could have had Team America World Police, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, The War of the Worlds from 1955, uh, and The Great Race from 1965. All right, Big Ben. Uh, Oh, I was going to say World Wars today. Um, What about The Day After Tomorrow? Nope. Isn't isn't World War Z? Z? Nope. Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer? Nope. But good, the Millennium Eye does get destroyed. It's not on the list. Shit. Am I not allowed to say Rain of Fire? Nope. Oh. Uh, 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 War of the Worlds. Nope. Oh, that's a good answer. 1950s. Nope. All right, I'll give you any of these would have done. Mars Attacks, V for Vendetta, oh. London Has Fallen, The Mummy in 2017, or G.I. Joe Retaliation. I was on the bloody set of V for Vendetta when they were shooting that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That's <laughs> I, I spent all night watching it. Get it together, Chris. All right, The Colosseum in Rome. There's only one right answer. Gladiator. No. So it must be... It involves drilling. In the... Drilling to the centre of the earth. Journey to the centre of the earth? In no. The, uh, deep impact? No, it's like that, but it involves drilling to the centre. It's the core. Oh. The, the core. core. Oh, yeah. All right. Mount Rushmore. Um. Oh, now that... I'm sure that is in one of the Supermans. Superman 3. No. Oh. I can picture it, but I just can't remember where I've you, seen it. You can try again. Independence Day. Superman 2. Yes, Yay! Oh, well Superman 2. Uh, General Zod and his cronies laser the faces off to make it their own. Yeah. Uh, all right. the scene in my head. Oof. Uh, I thought this was going to be easier. Um, all right, the Brooklyn Bridge. Godzilla. Which one? Roll Emmerich. Yes. <laughs> 98. Uh, Brooklyn Bridge. Um... Independence Day. No, I'll give you the other three. You could have had Cloverfield, The Dark Knight Rises, or I Am Legend. All right, final one. This has got so many different answers. I'm sure you're going to get one. Currently, Chris has three. Vicky has two. The Statue of Liberty. Ghostbusters 2. Yes. Yes. Cloverfield. (laughs) Yes. Um, Um, Planet of the Apes. Yes. No. Oh, I don't want you to win. Independence Day. Yes. Oh, do you know what? Doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> okay, you could have also had Superman for the day after tomorrow, Deep Impact, AI, or Batman Forever for a, a bonus point that will actually win you the whole thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> currently Chris is on four, five, six, and Vicky, you're on three for the whole game. The Millennium Bridge in London, Harry Potter, and um... the oh shit, the Deathly Order... Hallows, no, Order the... of the Phoenix, no, Goblet of Fire, no. The, what, the other one, the... Oh, fucking hell. The, the first one. The Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> you fucking Googling it, Chris? No! The... Prisoner of Azkaban. No! Chamber of Secrets. No! Order of the Phoenix. No! 
Half Blood Prince. Yes! <laughs> the Half Blood Prince. Oh, man. I oh, spent dude. ages I mean, on that quiz. you should just given it when I said Harry Potter. Yeah. It's fine. fine. <laughs> All right, that's the quiz. Great. I'm really, really unhappy with that. It's the first quiz I've done. It felt like a fucking chore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thought you'd like. I thought that'd be really easy and exciting. I love movies where things get destroyed. Right then, let's do the verdict. So, uh, why don't you start us off, Chris? What are you going for of these two movies? I found it hard to fully engage with either of them. If I'm really honest, I felt myself drifting. Sure. Both times. Um, Same joke twice. They do both evoke a sense of awe and size and scale. And I like that they are both somewhat tongue in cheek, but there's much more humour in Pacific Rim. And I think it's simply a better film. So I'm going to go Pacific Rim. Okay. Which uh, surprised me. Going in, I thought I would say Rain of Fire. but Interesting. I'll go next. And I kind of agree with you, Chris. I was honestly thought I was walking into my favourite week of the show. And compared to the first time I saw both these movies... I was let down by both of them in different ways, but they were neither as good as I remember them, especially Pacific Rib. I am going to go with, however, oh, uh, let me, I'm so close that I'm going to, I'm actually going to leave it to you, V, and go Reign of Fire. Okay. Um, I want to pick Reign of Fire because I thought the performances were better. But I was when I was about 10 minutes into Pacific Rim, I was like, I think this might be one of the best films I've ever seen. Because <laughs> it was really, really enjoyable. Mm. But then it's it's 40 minutes too long, like act- an actual 40 minutes. Um, but if we're thinking about like the just what I if where I had a better time, the one I'd be likely to watch again. And I agree with you, Chris. I think Pacific Rim is mm. just marginally a better film. So Pacific Rim. That means Pacific Rim is this week's winner. Um, I think that's the right winner as well. Um, I'm so uh, close between the two and I'm pleased it won because it is a great film in different ways to A Reign of Fire is a great film as well. They're both great in different ways. I'll just move on. So uh, that is the end of this show. What are we doing on the next show? Oh yeah, it's me. I forgot. Um, while I'm while I'm so excited, while I'm tracking it down, um, if if you want to prepare for next year, um, I noticed that Johnny Mnemonic is set in 2021. Oh wow! You mean 12 months from now? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> no, we're still going to be doing okay. That's really sweet. Um, no, thank you. Optimistic. I'd quite like to do a three-way for the next show. Stop as, saying three-way. We've, we've had got, this discussion. As we've got a little bit of a break. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, I'll give you the we years. Just, we haven't got a break. We're on every week. Christmas. It's Christmas. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give you the years of these three films and you can pick which year you want. Do you want, okay. uh, Vicky, you go first. 1980, 1984 or 1988? 88. You have The Naked Gun. Oh, great. Ooh. Alex, do you want 1980 or 1984? I'm trying to work out what the connection is. Was 1980 Airplane? I think that might be. I'm going 1980. You've got Airplane. Yeah! <laughs> and I have 1984's Top Secret. Now, all three of these films are free on Sky, uh, but they're also available to rent for a couple of pounds on Amazon. Lovely stuff. So it's Airplane versus Naked Gun versus Top Secret. That is going to be a tough show. That is our next uh, episode. Uh, do join us for that. In the meantime, if you want to subscribe to us uh, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, we would love you to. And we'd also love you to rate and review us uh, and all the business end of yeah. stuff. Yeah, news uh, resolution. Give us a, give us a review. Right. Yeah, if you like it. Uh, and also, if you want to get in touch, it's Clash uh, Show at ClashPod.com, <laughs> and we are at ClashPod on Twitter. 
turns off. Uh, turns out I've switched off the new year <laughs> slightly earlier than I had planned on doing. So thank you very much for listening and uh, have a great new year. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production.